Please listen carefully. Psych Essentials is a show about learning psychiatry. It's fun and educational, but should not be taken as medical advice or opinion. So kick back and try not to worry about those glaring ego deficits. We like you anyway. Hey, James. What have you been humming recently? I've been humming a song that I can't get out of my head. It's actually a song about benzodiazepines. Huh. Is it I Feel Like Dying by Lil Wayne? I know you're a huge fan. No. Huge rap fan, (laughs) of course. But no, it's actually the Rolling Stones song, Mother's Little Helper. Kids are different today. I hear every mother say, mother needs There's a link on our website. Yeah. That actually ties in really well because today we're talking about benzodiazepines. Yeah, we are. What are benzodiazepines and uh, how do they work? Benzodiazepines are sedative hypnotic medications that have been around since the 1960s. Chlordiazepoxide, otherwise known as Librium, was the first benzo. It was actually accidentally discovered by a scientist in 1954, and it came to the market as Librium in 1960. And the rest have followed since then. And in fact, the Rolling Stones song, Mother's Little Helper, refers to diazepam. How do they work exactly? Benzos modulate the GABA-A receptor. Recall that GABA is the main inhibitory neurotransmitter in the central nervous system. And so benzos bind to the GABA-A receptor, which causes the channel to open more frequently. More chloride ions get through the channel, which leads to hyperpolarization. And this prevents action potentials from firing. Because it's hyperpolarized, you have fewer action potentials and less firing. Exactly. And so that just kind of calms down the central nervous system. And benzodiazepines work on this channel, causing it to open more frequently. And that's different than barbiturates, which affect how long the channel stays open for. Exactly. It's a subtle difference. Subtle but classic. Okay. Now, these medicines are prescribed all the time. In fact, I know that Xanax is one of the top-selling psychiatric medications each year. But I think there are all sorts of problems with them. Yeah. I mean, despite being so commonly prescribed, benzos have a pretty high potential for tolerance, which is when you get less of a medication effect with repeated doses of a drug. And benzos also have a high potential for physiologic and psychologic dependence. And so in this situation, a patient would develop withdrawal symptoms when the drug is stopped. Huh. So between tolerance and dependence, I could see why this would be a controversial medicine. What do people use benzodiazepines for? Benzodiazepines have anxiolytic, hypnotic, anticonvulsant, and muscle relaxant properties. And so in other words, they help sedate people and they calm both the brain and the body down. So you can imagine how they might be used. Mm-hmm. I could think about anxiety definitely comes to mind. Mm-hmm. Also somebody who's like really agitated. Yep. Somebody who was going in for an operation and part of anesthesia, they were being sedated. Yep. I also know that, for instance, if somebody's having a seizure, you can give them a benzodiazepine and it can sometimes stop the seizure. Exactly. Those are all reasons why benzos are used. There's a bunch of different ones, right? 
Yeah, so there are lots of benzos, but we'll highlight the ones that you're most likely to encounter in clinical practice. You can differentiate them based on their pharmacologic properties, which do have some clinical significance. First, you can differentiate benzos based on their half-life. There are three main groups. There's a short-acting group, medium-acting group, and a long-acting group. The short-acting group has a half-life of less than 12 hours, and this would include medications like alprazolam or Xanax and midazolam or Versed. That makes sense because I've heard people going in for procedure had a little bit of midazolam. I imagine you wouldn't want it to last too long because then they're either out of the procedure or they're under general anesthesia. Exactly, exactly. So short-acting definitely have their place and their uses. Okay. The next is the medium-acting category in which the half-life is 12 to 24 hours. A good example is lorazepam, otherwise known as Ativan. Sometimes that medicine is used for people who are going through alcohol withdrawal Mm -hmm. because you want it to last for some long, but you don't necessarily need to last for a really long time. Yeah, exactly. And then there's the long-acting group in which the half-life is more than 24 hours, and this includes clonazepam or clonopin, chlordiazepoxide or librium, and diazepam or valium. And I've also heard of those ones being used for alcohol withdrawal. Yeah, exactly. The general rule of thumb is that the long-acting benzodiazepine metabolites tend to stick around longer, and so the effects of the medication will last longer. The shorter the half-life and the time to peak effect, the higher the potential for rebound symptoms, dependence, and addiction. So alprazolam with its super rapid onset and short half-life has a higher potential for dependence than diazepam. That said, all benzos do have a relatively high potential for dependence, but the short-acting ones are kind of particularly notorious. As you're listing them off, I'm thinking about how a lot of them sound really similar because they all end in the PAM. They do. That's kind of the key suffix there. Yeah, and it takes a while to get really familiar with all the different benzodiazepines, so do not feel ashamed about needing to look up the medications over and over until you really kind of get comfortable with which one is which. Definitely. Between the generic names and the brand names, it's easy to get them mixed up. Now, isn't there also a difference between how some of these are broken down? That's actually another key pharmacologic difference is the metabolic pathway, whether it involves conjugation versus oxidation. Most of the benzos are metabolized through the liver. And because of that, you need to be extra careful in the elderly or people with liver disease. Are there any that are not metabolized in the liver that would be safe if somebody had liver disease? These would be... Temazepam, oxazepam, and lorazepam. And the way you can remember those is with the mnemonic, the old liver. So T-O-L. T-O-L, T for temazepam, O for oxazepam, or L for lorazepam. Like, that's an old liver. Exactly. I tend to like the old liver because I feel like it helps me to remember, oh, I I should use these medications for people who are older and for people who have liver disease. Uh Uh-huh. So. Yeah. The bottom line is that you would not want to use a long-acting benzo such as diazepam because it has a propensity to build up in the tissues of older patients, and that can lead to a whole host of problems. Yeah, I imagine it could be over-sedating. Yeah, exactly. And so if you're ever in doubt about someone's liver status and you desperately need to give someone a benzo, for example, they're having a seizure right in front of you, lorazepam is a good choice. Speaking of, what are some of the side effects with benzodiazepines? There are a fair number of side effects that you would probably expect from something that calms your brain down. Some side effects include sedation, 
You can also see difficulty with memory or amnesia, difficulty walking, like ataxia and motor incoordination. There's also the risk of tolerance and dependence that we talked about. This is sounding a lot like the side effects of alcohol because they're hitting similar receptors in the brain, like being sedated, not remembering things, not being able to walk right, not being super coordinated. Yeah, they, they can be very similar, and that's why they're so dangerous when mixed together. One important thing to consider when prescribing in older adults, if this is required, is that there is an increased risk of falls for older patients on benzos. There's a risk that if they have any cognitive impairment, that it could get worse. And you can also sometimes see paradoxical excitation in which a patient becomes more agitated. Because you'd expect them to be sedated, but it's actually the opposite. Exactly. Like you can sometimes see this in kids as well. Okay. Is there anyone who should definitely not get a benzodiazepine? There are some contraindications to be aware of. Benzos cause respiratory depression, and so they are contraindicated in anyone whose respiratory status could be compromised. For example, a patient with myasthenia gravis, patient with obstructive sleep apnea. You should also be cautious when using benzodiazepines in patients with comorbid alcohol or opioid use disorders just due to the risk of respiratory depression when those two substances are combined. Like severe to the point of death. Yeah, exactly. Like people just stop breathing. Because you have two things that are sedating you. Yeah. That's a lot of things. When would you even use a benzodiazepine? Yeah, that's a good question. And I've used them in a variety of settings. I've used them for patients going through alcohol withdrawal on our inpatient units. I've used them for agitated patients in our psychiatric emergency department. I've used them for really bad psychotic anxiety that's not responding to an antipsychotic alone. I've also used them in severe mania as well as catatonia. A whole host of things. Okay, so there are things, but what I did not hear was somebody with an anxiety disorder. That is true. I've inherited patients who are started on benzos by other providers, but I have not personally felt the need to start one for anxiety. Okay. For an anxiety disorder, there's really no evidence for the long-term use of benzodiazepines. There's evidence for use less than four weeks. Sometimes what you will see in practice, for someone with a very severe anxiety or panic disorder, you will see someone start an antidepressant such as an SSRI plus a benzodiazepine at the same time so that the benzo can provide some short-term relief while the antidepressant is being up-titrated to an effective dose. And it typically takes like six to eight weeks to really notice a difference when an antidepressant is started. And so when you do prescribe benzos, they're generally best used in the short term or on a very irregular, infrequent, as-needed basis, like a person with a plane phobia who flies like twice a year. Okay. You were saying the dependence and the tolerance can develop so quickly that after you'd been using it for four weeks, you probably aren't even getting the same relief that you were at the beginning. Yeah, exactly. And so really, I mean, being on long-term benzos kind of it has the potential to worsen anxiety and can make people worse. Hmm. So generally best to avoid chronic benzos for people with anxiety. That said, you, you do see it a lot in practice. I also didn't hear you talking about sleep or insomnia. Yeah. We're going to talk a lot about insomnia in the next episode, but suffice to say, benzodiazepines would not be your first choice for somebody who can't sleep. Yes, that is very true. Okay. 
If there's not evidence for people using these in the long term, why are so many people on chronic benzodiazepines? That's a good question. And here's a hypothesis. I mean, the vast majority of benzos in the United States are prescribed in primary care clinics as opposed to psychiatry. And benzos do provide very quick, real relief for people in the short term, especially for anxiety or insomnia. And PCPs do have a limited amount of time that they can spend with people and perhaps not enough time to talk about starting an antidepressant that's going to take six to eight weeks to work, doing therapy or CBT for insomnia. And like I said, benzos can really provide some initial rapid relief of symptoms. But then once the benzo started, it can sometimes be hard to get people off of them because they quickly become tolerant of the medication. They might also experience withdrawal or rebound symptoms whenever they stop the medication. And I think there's also the reality that sometimes people may also start to think that they can't handle their problems without this medication. So all of that is hard to talk about when you have 15 minutes with someone. Mm-hmm. And so if there's not that much time, it might be easier to use this short-term solution, but then people end up on this chronic medicine that they feel like they can't stop. Exactly. There may also be a role from advertising. Like People have seen some of this advertised or they've heard about it from someone else, kind of a word of mouth situation. We also see and hear a lot about benzos in our popular culture. We were just talking about those songs at the beginning of this episode. I mean, it's really prevalent. People have heard a lot about benzos and they know that they they do work. It seems like it'd be important to be thoughtful when you're starting a benzodiazepine. Do you have any tips for when or where or why you'd get started? If you feel like there's a good rationale for starting a benzodiazepine, it's really important to set clear boundaries about what you will prescribe and the length of time that you're going to prescribe it. You'll need to educate the patient about any red flag behaviors that would suggest addiction before starting the benzo, such as requesting early refills, losing prescriptions, demanding higher doses of the medication, or increasing the dose against medical advice. Then last, it would be important to provide the patient a clear understanding of what will happen if these red flags do emerge and how you will safely taper them off the benzos. You're really setting some pretty clear guidelines about what you will do and for how long you'll use this medicine. Mm -hmm. So if not people with an anxiety disorder, are there other people who you might steer away from prescribing these medicines? Like we said, they have anxiety or insomnia probably not a great choice. You might think twice in patients with a personality disorder due to risk of overuse and dependence, like using it as a coping skill instead of other more adaptive things. Maybe think twice in someone with comorbid substance use disorders due to that risk of dependence and overdose potentially, as well as actively suicidal patients. With that risk of sedation and death. Yeah, exactly. So let's say that you'd gone through this discussion and they'd been like, yeah, I think I want to stop taking them. Could they stop cold turkey? That would not be recommended. They would be at risk for potentially dangerous or life-threatening withdrawal symptoms. And we actually talked a little bit about the sedative hypnotic withdrawal syndrome in episode 21, if you want to check that out. So yeah, cold turkey stopping, bad idea for benzos. What's recommended is a very slow, long taper over weeks to months. So it is possible, but it sounds like it's a pretty slow process. Exactly. Okay. This can be kind of a sticky issue where this medicine has its uses, but a lot of times these days we're using it 
not for the thing that it's actually useful for. Yeah, benzodiazepines definitely have their place in psychiatry. They're very effective. They work. And they're useful in many clinical scenarios. For most patients with anxiety or insomnia, I would strongly recommend against chronic use. And I would also be cautious about prescribing for the elderly due to the risks of falls and worsening cognition. That makes a lot of sense. When you might use them would be things like if somebody was having a procedure, if somebody was having a seizure. Right. Acute, one-time-only sort of needs. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Quiz me. Okay. True or false? Diazepam has best evidence for use in liver disease. False. Because the three that we said are okay in liver disease are the old liver or the the old old liver, liver. depending. So that's temazepam, oxazepam, and lorazepam. Perfect. Okay. Benzos work by increasing synthesis of GABA. False. Benzodiazepines affect the chloride channel and they cause it to open more frequently, which leads to hyperpolarization of the neuron, so it fires less often. So you're not really affecting the synthesis of GABA, it's more the action potential. Yeah, exactly. Patients with obstructive sleep apnea should not be prescribed benzos due to risk of respiratory depression. True or false? That's true because benzos cause sedation and they can cause you to stop breathing and you already have less breathing with obstructive sleep apnea. Yep, exactly. Okay. Rapid benzo taper is well tolerated by patients. False. You just said that you should go slowly so that you don't cause withdrawal. Exactly. Chronic use of benzos for anxiety disorders is evidence-based. That's false. Short-term only and even then questionable. Yeah, agreed. Okay, last one. There are alternative treatments for anxiety and insomnia with more longer-term success. True. True. Well, that's been really helpful. Thanks for telling us about benzodiazepines today. I do think that you'll encounter them. Yeah, I hope it was useful. We're going to keep talking about medications in our advanced psychopharmacology series. Coming up next time, insomnia. In the meanwhile, you can check out our website. Let us know what you'd like to hear more about in the future. Our website is www.psychessentials.org. You can also follow us on Twitter and on Facebook. We're at Psych Essentials. You can check us out on iTunes. If you know someone else who likes it, you can also share Psych Essentials. Our music is by Javier Suarez off his album Tumbling Dishes. There's a link on our website where you can also find a link to the Rolling Stones song that Lindsay mentioned earlier. As always, people, places, details are changed to protect confidentiality. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time. Till next time. Bye. Bye.